0: Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life, in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go.
1: Hello, Chris, my best friend, my, my longtime mentor, my just go-to guy for so many things in life, in business, and uh, in sports even. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I want to start off with, Chris, is the first thing is, you know, we love to ask what your light bulb moment is. When did things really kind of come into focus or change for you?
2: All right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Like, It means the world. To see you rocking this podcast and to actually be on your show, this is stuff that, how many times, how many years have we been kicking around business ideas and dreams and all this stuff? So I feel like I'm stuck right in the middle of one of your dreams, and, and this is yeah. the coolest feeling on the planet. So congrats to you guys. Oh, thank you. Light bulb moment. All right, listen, there's been so many of them in my life that it's tough to identify just one, but I think it's this. When I very first got into self-development, and I have to frame it for you guys, we had just lost everything because I lost my banking job. It was the recession. We were living beyond our means. We sold this giant home that we just finished building. We walked away from our rental properties. We sold all the cars we could, except for one because it was so far upside down. It didn't make sense to sell it. Like This was hitting the reset button. And in that moment was when we first decided to dip our toes into self-development. I know that sounds crazy because I was 30. You think everybody in this day and age now by 30 is, uh, you know, at least flirting with self-development. But listen, I was Midwest born and raised. I was just kind of bro, you know, and uh, it wasn't on the agenda. It, It hadn't entered into my life. And so Lori talked me into going to this thing called Landmark Forum. Now, this is not an endorsement for Landmark Forum or for any other forum like ALA or MITT or any of those things. I think they're all good and they all serve their purpose in, in unique ways. But um, it was in there that I was taught for the first time ever that nothing has any meaning other than the meaning that you apply to it. And you get to choose how you are going to apply a meaning to each and every single event in your life. And on top of that, we're literally meaning-making machines by default. And it's like my whole world was, was opened up to instead of feeling like I was just part of a play, to I was the director of that play. And I got to start choosing how I wanted to see the world based on all the events that were happening, not to me, but for me. And then it was backed up by this concept of every single thing that happens to you or for you. Um, it starts to create the set of lenses that you're looking through. And this set of lenses that you're looking through is going to determine how you see the world. And if you're seeing the world in a really rough or, or crappy or down way, then you actually have control over changing that, not somebody else coming along and saving the day for you. And this, I think when I look back and answer your question of, you know, what is one of the, the most light bulb moments of my life, it has to be that because from that moment on, I have felt like I've been in a hundred percent control, and, and the results have shown too.
0: Mm. Whoa! So when you guys lost everything, and you know you go to landmark and you have, you kind of have this turned on moment where you start to see differently, you know, with new eyes. Um, what were some of the like initial things? Because from where you are then to where you are now, you're talking about like a lifetime of difference in in terms of what yeah. many people can or can't do. So. When you turned that on, what were some of the first simple things that you started to you know, create change for to elicit that response, if you will, or, or those outcomes for the, for the whole world to turn around for you?
2: Yeah. So at the time, I was stuck in a partnership in a small startup mortgage brokerage that, turned in, that we turned into a mortgage bank, and I literally felt like I was stuck in it until I started to go – through things like Landmark Forum, Tony Robbins, like you name it, UPW, and it gave me the sense of control where I realized, no, I'm not stuck. I'm just kind of keeping myself here, and there are more options, and I could I could sell my little chunk of it, and I could come home, and I could work with Lori, and I could help her build her brands, and like the world is full of options, but we just don't see them, even though they're right in front of our face, because we're running around playing victim, like things are happening to us instead of taking control and realizing that we have full control with every single little decision. Now, listen, here's where people get stuck is they hear that and they say, well, I don't have control. I have to stay in this job. I got to pay for my kids. I got to pay for my house. I got to pay for, but no, you're still making a choice in that exact moment to stay in that house and drive that car and wear those clothes. Like there is always another option for you, no matter how, backed up against the corner you think you are but most of us just don't see those other options because if we take those other options we know that there's going to be some pain involved with taking that option and so our natural inclination is to avoid that pain and so we we do we just black out that option because we don't want the pain that's going to come along with choosing that option that'll make us better in the long run but maybe a little bit more painful in the short run so angelique to answer your question It was starting to see all these possibilities. And of course, the punchline is, you know, I sold out my small chunk of that mortgage bank and came home and worked with Lori, and I wouldn't know you guys if I didn't do that. Hmm. And that was one of many, many examples where I kind of felt like I was taking the power back and calling the shots on life.
1: Yeah, you know what, as I listen to you, and this has been kind of a theme that we heard from You know, most of our guests, because we talk in terms of like these hallways of your life and a hallway, if you're having a business hallway or, or your romantic hallway or your health hallway, you want them to be long, you know, and, and sometimes you can't see the whole thing. And, and, you know, there's that famous Dr. Martin Luther King quote, where you can't see the whole staircase, just take the first step. Mm -hmm. So certainly when you're sitting there and you are a mortgage broker and you're in the Midwest, you don't see right now. Like nobody has a crystal ball and says, Hey, you know, in a few short years, I'm going to be in LA and I'll be doing all these other things. Okay. So tell us where the mindset is then, because I think, you know, patience and persistence has a lot to do with it and everybody wants it now. Yeah, or Maybe they don't want to put in as much work as it really takes. Mm-hmm. So your famous line is collaboration is the new shortcut, which is so true
0: mm-hmm.
1: that if, we were talking to some guy yesterday, and uh, uh, he's, a, he's a suit maker. And I said, you know, even if I introduced you to, like, the top people in fashion right now, if, if you hadn't done all that work and you weren't legit, then the introduction wouldn't make a difference. Right. So sure. there is work there. So kind of take those things and, and tell us how you evolved.
2: It's funny because I would have to use the example of here I am, like, eyes starting to open and I'm still in this moment 10 years ago that we're talking about, right? Eyes starting to open, starting to take control of things. And Lori and I grabbed this book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Mm -hmm. And we read it together in bed, one chapter per night. Sometimes if we're going to get freaky, two chapters. And (laughs) we would literally take turns reading out loud. If I was tired, she'd read it. If she was tired, I would read it. Now, in that book, they taught me for the first time that anything is possible, and you set your own finish line, you set your own financial thermostat, and so why not take control and set this thing higher? That year, once we learned that concept, and once that sunk in, and David, your, your question was around, when you can't see the finish line, we can't see the big picture, what are you focusing yeah. on? Mm-hmm. That year, we made this big, audacious goal. And for a frame of mind, we never made, I never made more than $300,000 before that. And that's not a woe was me. Like in the Midwest, it that gave you a really good life, especially ten years ago. But um, that was the first year, and for context, we were starting over. That we said, how would we make a million dollars? Not could we? Not you know would we ever? But how? Could we make a million dollars? And I remember sitting out on the front porch. You guys visited that little apartment once. I remember. Remember that front porch? I remember sitting out there Mm -hmm. and typing into my computer, one million dollars, and working my way backward for the first time in my life, which is actually a, a formula I teach now, to where it would come from if I was determined to hit it. And I don't remember the numbers exactly, but this was the start of our network marketing team, Catching Fire this was the start of Lori's monthly plan, turning into something good. This was the, when she still had that gym. Um, this was when I did a little bit of you know my first coaching ever. Um, matter of fact, Lori called me the honey bear coach because I'd sit there and just like eat so much honey while in my tea the entire time that she'd like to make fun of me. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and um, so I, I said, if we were going to make a million dollars, where would it come from? And you ask a better question, you get a better answer, right? And I remember putting down, okay, this much could come from this network marketing team if it went well. This much could come from Lori's plan if it went well. This much could come from the gym if it went well. This much could come from my coaching. And that year, we made nine something. Mm. So that's getting pretty close to your big audacious goal. Yeah. Because the year prior to that, we were back down below zero. Mm. So it just shows you, like, Mm David, your, your entire question was well, when you can't see the finish line, what do you focus on? But I say create your finish line mm-hmm. and then set the, lay down the set of tracks on how you're gonna get there. Because you're really only gonna get somewhere big and audacious and awesome if you're calling your shot. David, like picture like Babe Ruth, like calling yeah, a shot. Exactly. And then laying down the exact set of tracks on how you think you're gonna get there. And here's the, here's the thing, too whatever set of tracks you lay down, it's not gonna look that way. Yeah. Like you're still, you're going to become very close or exceed your goal, but it's not going to look how you thought it was going to look getting there. But the mere action of laying down the set of tracks and then starting to take action from mm-hmm. step to step, to step, to step is where that end result comes from.
1: You know, that's interesting. And, and I, and I love it. And I think people right now that are listening, if you haven't done that exercise, you got to do it because these are the things that change your life, looking at it from a different set of lenses. Um, and I have, I have just a random word that I've been thinking about lately. I'm just curious to get your thoughts. I'm just going to say it. You just, whatever comes to your mind, what do you think about momentum?
2: I think momentum is the hardest thing to gain and the most valuable thing to have and the easiest thing to lose. Think about that. It's the hardest thing to gain, the most valuable thing you can have and the easiest thing that you can lose. And so you have to work your tail off to stack together little wins until you have the coveted momentum. But then once you have it, most people take their foot off the gas, and that's why it's so easy to fall apart. It's so easy to lose. But when I say it's the most valuable thing you can have, momentum is when you start to get that swagger and things start to snowball in your favor. It's, everything's compounding in your favor, and you know everything you touch turns to gold, so to speak. That's what momentum looks like and feels like, but it's your responsibility to develop your own momentum.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting you use the word momentum because <clears throat> one of the things that... Um And it's just me because for semantics to me, you know, usually resonate one way or another. And when I hear the term, which is often thrown around like success loves speed, I'm like, I don't know if it loves speed. I feel like it loves precision and momentum. Mm -hmm. Because depending on how speed got there, it it had to do with a lot of little things coming together in a precise way Mm -hmm. and then catching momentum. And so maybe we call it speed, but really Mm -hmm. if we look back, what you just said was probably the most valuable piece of information. It's one of the hardest things to get, right? It's the little things that compound over time that create mm-hmm. that massive momentum, right? That everybody wants and it's the most valuable thing, yet you can lose it so quickly the second mm-hmm. you take your foot off the gas. That's just a really powerful perspective to really think about. I, I well, I think so. we've had a,
1: a unique perspective and I don't want to overstep here, but I mean, I know there's a lot of other people that have been close to you, but we've seen a great deal of momentum and that's why I've asked that in particular because we've kind of had this front row seat for a lot of your big moves. And that's you've had the
2: backstage tour.
1: Yeah. And 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 honestly it's been great because one of the things that I've learned is, you know, I I was one of those people that tend to do one thing and get a little bit of success. And I want to pat my I want to congratulate myself really quick. Or I want to say, okay, I can rest. And then um, I always have this thing well what would Chris Harder do? You know, and I'm thinking he gets some success. He congratulates, he rewards himself. They go on a trip or they do something, but he's right back at it because, exactly like he said, momentum is one of those things that you could turn around the next day and go, Where did all have to go? Like, I I just had it and I was feeling it. And now I have to climb it again. It's like you surf, right, Chris? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a great analogy. When you are paddling out, it's probably the hardest part of surfing. Yep. paddle out
2: against the one against the waves everything yeah it's exhausting
1: so you're almost to the break where you can turn it around and get on your board but if you take your your mind off it for one second a big wave can take you next thing you know you're where you're right right back back on
2: shore.
0: shore. yep that's precision right it's like knowing the precise moment precise time And, and and practice is what actually creates that it's not just talent right you might have a little bit of talent that you've developed or or that you're born with and then you have some but the skill is something that you've practiced at really really narrow in on.
2: it's interesting because um when you brought up success loves speed then you started to reframe it no i think it loves this and loves that what came up for me was success loves intention and consistency
0: yeah
2: right and you need both of those things and anybody can Apply those two things, intention, so you got to be hyper-intentional about what you want, where you're going to go, and how you're going to get there, and consistency. You don't have to go super fast. You don't have to have you know, more talent than the next guy. You don't have to have anything, but you have to be the most consistent person on the field.
0: Yeah, because saying speed, especially for new people, new entrepreneurs, people that are listening to this right now that are, that are wanting to learn you know, how you did it or how anyone did it for that matter. And you automatically think if it is speed that you, you do, it's like the scorched earth policy. I'm just gonna go as fast and as hard as I can and, and burn whatever it is in my path, right? Or, or just like trailblaze, but in the, you know, almost in the wrong way. Because again, if you look at all of you know, what influence, whether it's the last decade of influence or the last hundred years of influence, those, they all, it all came down to intention, precision, momentum, consistency work that no one saw like we we're just living a world especially with social media before and afters yeah
2: Yeah. it's so true they don't see you till they see you and the reason they see you is because you did all the work to be seen yeah Mm -hmm.
0: exactly isn't
2: that wild like everyone's like where'd they come from overnight success all these other things and we're all guilty (laughs) of making that snapshot that judgment but what's wild is behind every one of those stories was fear that somebody stepped through and pain and a bunch of little mini losses and embarrassment and judgment and, you know, you name it. Like you are fighting through the mud in order to get to the other side that you really want to get to. And most people, they're just not willing to, to fight through that mud.
1: Mm. Nobody, nobody saw all the years that Aaron Rodgers was behind Brett Favre (laughs) practicing every day to become the best, right?
2: Yep, exactly. They they just got
1: there. They didn't see all that stuff.
2: Exactly. Best analogy ever.
1: Well, I have to throw in Aaron Rodgers for you. Just like when I interviewed Kathy Savage, I got to throw in Tom Brady. Uh, Ange, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Chris a question. Well, I'm going I'm to say what I learned most because, again, we've had the privilege of, of seeing so much of their growth and behind the scenes. So I'm going to give you a second to think about what you've learned most while I kind of give a statement and ask him to talk about what I think I've learned Geez, just one thing. Well, I'm going to have two things probably. <laughs> the first thing that I've seen in Chris Harder that I admire most and I try to emulate, and it's probably my biggest pain point that I'm not good at is He's extremely good at being able to tell people the truth and being very firm with people and being likable while doing it. And for those of you guys that are running a business, you have a startup or if you're whatever you are, if you're a manager, even if you're a mom or a dad, uh, whatever it is that you do, you know, it's very hard to tell somebody the truth if it's hurts and it's uncomfortable and uh, it's constructive and still do it in a way where hey, um, I'm going to be nice about this, but I'm going to be really brutally honest. And and they're going to walk away going, hey, thank you, instead of you just hurt me. Does that make sense?
2: That makes great sense. I, I watched sense. you do
1: it in coaching uh, way back in the day, and I see you do it in the mastermind, and I've always been very impressed by it. So how do we learn that skill?
2: That means a lot to hear that. i got to be fully transparent. I I don't even know. I mean, I can tell you – what is buried somewhere deep in my psyche, and and that is this. Um, One, I like to take the shortest route to a message. I'm just kind of built that way. Um, Two, I just don't have a lot of tolerance for people and their excuses and their stories and their limiting beliefs and all that stuff when I see such a larger possibility on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like they see it as a mountain, but it's really just a little pebble in front of them, but it feels like a mountain to them. And I guess i just i've seen so many people, including myself, step through those types of things that that's what I want for them mm-hmm. um, but full transparency i don't know how you develop that I don't well I, I do.
1: I first, first of all talent. chris is an, you I, he's an emotional guy right like I, yeah. i've seen chris i've seen you i've seen every emotion i've see, i've seen sadness i've seen anger i've seen laughter i've seen uh sympathy sincerity but in those instances when I've seen you, you've been able to not be emotionless, but pull the personal emotion out of it. You know, yeah. So it's not that like you don't care or, or you don't have it. You're just pulling that part out of like, hey, this isn't a personal thing, but this has to be said.
2: I see things for what they are. And um, your, your follow-up question is going to be great. How do we do that? I don't know. I wish I could teach people to do that. But one thing I'm grateful for, let's call it a gift from God, Got it. Let's call it conditioning. Let's call it whatever you want to call it. I see things for what they are. And so I'm able to remove that emotion that other people mix in with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is kind of a, a, an innate superpower. We all have a lot of weaknesses and a couple of superpowers. And, and that's probably in, in an innate superpower.
0: Well, I would have to agree with what you're saying. Because there's, like, again, there's skills, right? And there's conditioning. Mm-hmm. But there, everyone has spiritual gifts and that happens to be one of yours and anytime the same in that i've ever been asked a question that i'm like you know what i don't i don't really have the answer as to how it's because it's something innate in you it's cellular and it's in your dna and i I believe that to be true about you you,
2: okay wait on this subject so it's making me think back it's like where did this come from Hmm. in high school i totally forgot about this till right now my Hmm. nickname was blunt like i would always be (laughs) blunt about things yeah. I, this is all just come, coming back to me right now. So that means as a child, yeah. during my most formative years, I was already very blunt with people. At the same time, when I reflect on my younger years, I remember really caring about people, yeah. like a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, David, you, you said, hey, I can re- remove the emotion from it. But I would almost say I'm so emotionally vested in people. Mm-hmm. that right. on the outside, it appears I've removed it, but it's actually what's driving the bluntness.
1: Well, because okay, you I'm can totally. be blunt. There's a lot of people who are blunt and you're like, that person's just a blunt jerk. But you, I've I've watched you coach people and tell people hard things like, hey, you know what? You didn't hit your goal. So uh, I'm not gonna be able to coach you next week because that was our agreement mm-hmm. uh, in, in a very nice way. And it was a fact. And because I think a lot of things is you, you laid it out ahead of time what the rules were and you stick to the rules. So there's no gray area. And, and then the person's like, thank you very much. I realize that. And you're like, yeah, if you, if you get back on track, I'd be happy to help you out again. And I, I always remember that time.
2: It's, that's a great example of, listen, people, they're not going to listen to what you say. They're going to listen to what you do. And your actions have to demonstrate and back up what you say. And there's so many, you use coaching. So I'm just going to use that as an example. There's so many people that might be coaching someone and, and say, okay, if you don't do XYZ, I'm not going to do this. And then the person does not do X, Y, Z, and they come up with really good reasons why, and, and you don't back up your consequence. Yeah. You have to back up your consequence. You have to deliver that little bit of a painful blow, or the person will never take you serious. So people don't care what you say, they care what you do. And what you do is going to make up who you are and what your results are, not Which what I you think say.
1: You use in just about any, any occupation you're in. I think that's in a great anything. skill set because if people always want to know what do I do? What's the skill set? We can read books about all the things, but it's these little things that are personality traits sometimes or things that we can just get better at that make a huge difference.
2: You guys, I have the weirdest memory of being in kindergarten. Like I I physically see myself sitting in a circle in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin in kindergarten on the ground and we were call clapping, saying actions speak louder than words. Mm. Actions speak louder in freaking kindergarten. And for some reason that stuck with me. And I think that has developed into something that's helped take us, you know, where it's taken us is because I've just always believed that ever since that day in kindergarten, sitting in a Amen. circle, clapping hands and, and chanting to it, actions speak louder than words. It's a great it always lesson.
1: Does. Wow. It's a great lesson. I love it. So what's
2: your It's so think? weird the trip down memory lane that like all these visuals you guys are starting to give me.
0: <laughs> it's Isn't good. Awesome. Um, so I have a couple of things. One is that literally, I don't your ability to see the good in everything and in everyone. Oh, yeah. Like you could have the most ludicrous situation or I person know. and Chris is like, well, hold on a second. Yeah. And then he's able to just sort of bring it full circle and split the perspective. So that's, that's a gift and, and you're, you do such a beautiful job. Of that's that. important. Now that
2: one's developed. That I know is, where that came from.
0: That. I would definitely
2: um, believe that. So one person, you know, one person, you don't know. Uh, this is really interesting. So, you know, my dad, you know, him really well. He is the most positive Mm -hmm. human being on the planet. Doesn't get caught up in drama, just wakes up happy and sees the happy in everything. And so that's, let's call it 50% of the equation. The other 50% of the equation is I had a boss named Mark Spiker when I was really just crushing it in my, my banking days when everything was on the up and up back then. And At the time, he was the most annoying boss that I could have ever had in my life because I wasn't as positive. I wasn't as, um, you know, the way that you just described me right now. I would, in fact, I'd love to to kind of talk about what what could go wrong. And I'd I'd love to talk about the gossip a little bit. And I'd love to talk about, you know, all that stuff. And, And Mark Spiker would be so positive and so cheery that we would yell at him in meetings and be like, just for once, why can't you talk about the reality of the numbers? Like it was annoying.
0: <laughs> now,
2: now here's where that story took a turn. Mark Spiker got colon cancer and died mm. in his early forties.
1: Mm.
2: And we had gone on to, uh, before that happened, You know, so from the time that he was my boss to the time that he passed away unexpectedly, we actually started to develop a friendship when we all left the international bank that we were working at when everybody lost their jobs because we both lived in the same city at the time. And so um, I think it was probably the bonding of, you know, both of us losing these careers that we loved and living in the same city and being close to the same age and having been in the trenches together that it was an easy thing to bond over and we actually became friends instead of a a boss subordinate relationship after we'd left that career and when we became friends i really started to understand what made him tick and the happiness it brought him by seeing the positive in everything and it especially during such a bad time to be honest with you he saw the positive in everything and when he passed away i remember being at his funeral and thinking he was the happiest you know you kind of reflect on someone he was the happiest kindest, most smiley-go-lucky guy, even if somebody was shooting at him. And I thought, what a gift, because he might have only lived 40-some years, but boy, were they happy, amazing, incredible, rainbow-colored years. And that's better than somebody who lives 80 or 100 miserable negative years. Mm. And that really, in that moment, that day, thinking about that, I was like, oh man, none of us know how much time we have. Mm -hmm. And and I decided to see and seek out the positive in every single situation. And it, it was like a muscle that I started to, um, do a lot of reps on and it became my new default.
1: You know, if there's, if there's one thing that the world needs, uh, in terms of lessons, that's certainly one of them. I know I do. So I take that and receive it. And, and really, I'm going to, I'm going to try and really meditate on that and pray on it. Um because we, we really do have to take advantage of what we have here. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of trans, uh, transform this next segment into piggybacking off that. And I'm going to ask you things now, it could be with business or it could be with your family. And I, I'd i like you to kind of hit on both is what, what does legacy mean to you? Like when's all said and done, what do you th- want your legacy to be? And, you know, tell us a little bit about your parents and your, and your and your grandparents and stuff like that, what legacy they've left on you?
2: You know what's really interesting? So my grandpa's legacy was all about his service in, in the U.S. government and, and the military and all the decorations that he got. And that's what he was proud of. And that was his legacy. And then, of course, his family. My dad, his legacy was the difference that he made in, in the shipping industry, the boat building industry, um, in you know, he's right now raising money to build that huge tower for the maritime museum. Like he wants to carry on this history of the maritime industry. And of course, his other legacy is his family. Like these are just the ultimate family guys. For me, I don't have a big legacy that I'm aiming for, at least not yet. I don't have um, something I want to be known for. I don't, I honestly just want to leave people better than when I found them. And if that adds up into something, great. But I don't really buy into this idea of I'm going to create this monster legacy because I want you to think about just how few people really leave any massive world-changing legacy behind that other people talk about, yet every single person is leaving some form of legacy behind that made a difference that no one's talking about. But like, that
0: is legacy. Yeah. Building yeah. It's hard to see it at the time, probably. Yeah. And, and so I, I just want to interject there because, y- you know, you're talking about maritime and you're talking about the government and decorations and um, these are things, right? And they, they are monumental in, in how they play out in, you know, in the world and in, in order or whatever. But what you're doing is a divine order. It's very different than a physical order and uh, you know building people is legacy because generationally what that changes in their lineage is Mm -hmm. far more impactful on a larger scale than anything that doesn't downplay or shrink down anything else that you just shared of your father and grandfather and you know outstanding human beings but what you're doing like you're saying I don't want to you know I don't really have a yes you do I I think I'm just going to totally declare that over your life Mm. right now because yes you do it's you've changed our legacy, the legacy mm-hmm. of our girls, and that what happens in their life and in their children, that is a direct, a direct relationship that came from mentorship, friendship, and intimate times with you and Lori. Yeah. So I just want you to know that because quite honestly, I don't, I don't know if you realize how big it is. And it is well, big. It's monumental. Well,
2: number one, thank you. It means the world to hear that. I received that. And and you're right, I guess, here's what I was mulling on when you asked me the question, when, you know, when David said, hey, you know, what, what's gonna be your legacy? You right away think Martin Luther King-sized legacies. Mm-hmm. You right away think George Washington-sized legacies. You're like, and then what came up for me is like, I don't have anything like that that I'm aiming for. And then what comes up right away, like you know how fast you can think.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I remember thinking, what's wrong with you that you don't have something that big that you actually wanna leave behind? Mm-hmm. And like I just started going and you, you, I've got the part of my brain that's talking to you right now and the other part of my brain that's like having its own conversation. Yeah. That other part of my brain that was having its own conversation was like, what's wrong with you that you don't want to leave a big legacy? What's behind that? Hey, maybe we should go explore that one day. That's, that's literally what I was thinking. So to hear you say that, um, I don't know about make, creating a legacy, but I, I know about making a difference and that feels really, really good.
0: Generational legacy. <laughs> Generational. I just like I said, I'm going to declare that over your life because
2: you already have Welcome. Thank you. Yeah.
1: So as we get into different parts of now, we business and and then we touch a little bit on your family. We want to talk about uh, something that is very important to Angelique and myself in this podcast, and that's you know the relationship part. Uh, you mm-hmm. you work with your wife a lot. You have both have separate uh, adventures and things that you do, but you both do things together as well. And then it's you, this brother. You you have this amazing uh, relationship with Nick, where uh, I remember when you guys first started, Nick was doing his thing, you were doing yours. And now you had this amazing thing. And I see the emotional attachment in both the relationship with your brother and the relationship with your wife. And I love how you guys play, whether it's just watching a football game on the weekends or going on vacations. So tell us a little bit about what it feels like to to really be able to do things with your family and, and not just the rosy parts, but what's been a big struggle too.
2: Yeah, so sometimes it's amazing and sometimes it's really awkward and tough because it's your family. So, you know, Nick is our COO. He's got a massive responsibility for each of our companies and he delivers. I mean, he a lot of times I'd say don't work with your family. Uh, it's not typically great advice, but he was built the opposite of how I was built. And so he fits all of my weaknesses and, and vice versa. I can, I can fit all of his weaknesses with my strengths. And it just works beautifully. Now the part where it becomes really awkward is a lot of times I sit down and I think about, am I paying him enough money? Mm-hmm. Um, am I giving him a good enough life for how hard he works for us? And um, I think about when he screws up, you know, he once, he once uh, screwed up and, and cost us over $50,000 on Facebook ads that didn't, pay, that didn't provide anything when he screws up, how do I address that in a way I would anyone else who was not blood related to me and and working with me or for me? Um, And how's that going to make Christmas feel? Mm -hmm. Right? So it's not all rosy and it's not all roses. Um, Even sometimes if we've had a bad week and then we're going to watch the Packer game together on Sunday, there's always that weird asterisk in the room. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm Sometimes hoping, I'm like, oh, I hope he's having a good time. Oh, I hope he's not still thinking about Tuesday. Oh, I hope he's not. You know what I mean? There's always that in my head. I'm constantly thinking about, um, well, two things. One, I feel a real responsibility to make sure that we are so absurdly successful that he will always have this career to count on. Mm. You know what's funny about that? He'd be just fine on his own. He really would. But I feel that as like this grave responsibility because he's bet on us. Yeah, and so absolutely, we, we need to make sure that it's a it's a safe bet, um, and that feels like pressure, and that feels like it's it's the ultimate blessing and it's the ultimate pressure.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because we were watching this story about some MMA fighter today, and uh, he was talking about growing up with his brother and how they absolutely pummeled each other. He's like, I don't know if I fought anybody harder than my brother and and i fought my brothers and sisters like that and angelique's an only child so she doesn't have that reference (laughs) but it's amazing uh what family does like you know because if i told you stories about how i fought with my sister and and the things the bones that we've broken of each other you'd be like Mm -hmm. well you guys must hate each other and i'm like no we we love each other it's like it's it's amazing because it's family's got that ability to you have to put things behind you because you have the blood now some people can't and they hold grudges um, and then we talk about, you know, working together with Angelique and myself and, and how there's been times when I'm just like, why did I ask you to go on this project with me? Or, you know, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, and then, and then 10 I minutes later, you know, you to. take a long walk outside and 10 minutes later, you're like, you know what I wouldn't do with anybody else. Yeah. So tell us your, your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yesterday, I was on an interview and, and, and I said something similar to what you're talking about. I said, Working with your significant other. And so I'll say working with Lori, my significant other, and working with Nick, my brother. It applies to both of these scenarios. Working with someone you love is the greatest added blessing on the planet because chasing down a goal together creates a bond and something to go after together like like nothing else on the planet. That's the That's the good side. The bad side is it creates an entire new set of challenges that would not be in that relationship if you were not working together. So let's focus on on Lori and I. I'll focus on people that are, are significant others and they're working together. Um, the bonus, I think you become stronger as a couple when you're chasing down a common goal. Mm-hmm. The challenge, you have to make damn sure that you don't just become business partners. You have to make damn sure that you I always use the analogy of when you first fall in love, you spend all your time and energy polishing up that relationship. And then at some point you say, oh, wait a minute, we also have to go make careers and make a family. So you take that relationship and you put it up on the shelf behind you. And both of you go out full speed and you start polishing up your careers. You start polishing up your family and you forget to take that relationship off the shelf. And you think it's going to look the same as as when you put it up there. And it's not, it's covered in dust and rust and crap and gook and just like everything that you know, built up because you forgot to take it off and and polish that too. And so I always say like, you have to have the built in uh, um, mandatory daily practices to make sure that you are taking as good of care of that relationship as you are that business venture or anything else that you are concentrating on right now. You have to take it off the shelf daily and polish that too. You know, so this is nothing new, but Lori and I have absolute non-negotiable protected time in the morning where we're waking up together, having coffee together, starting our day together, doing our prayers together, our meditations together, reading together, going to the gym. Uh, we go at the same time, but we don't work out together at the gym. But you know, we've got that unprotected time that nobody can penetrate in the morning until 11 a.m. And then we are this version of a cup flowing over for everybody else. And we give from the part of the cup that's flowing over, not from the part that's already empty and dried out uh-huh. and nothing left to give. And then the other thing is that mandatory dog walk. And by the way, as people hear this, I always tell them, find yourself in the story. Like, don't say, well, must be nice. I have to start at 7 a.m. Or, oh, must be nice. I don't have a dog to walk. Or must be nice. I have kids. Like, listen, find yourself in the story Mm -hmm. and and stop making excuses and build your own practices. Because for everyone, they're going to be something different. But we got the mandatory dog walk. And here's how serious we take it, guys. Um, Like, I know that tonight's dog walk is at 5.15. How do I know that? Because when we wake up, we say, Chris, what time are you done today? Uh, 445. All right, what time are you done, Lori? Five o'clock. Great. 5:15 for the dog walk? Yes. And we put it in the calendar. Like that's how non-negotiable it is. It's not just, oh, every day we kind of wait till we're done and we hope it's gonna happen. And boy, most days it does. You've seen us on on Instagram. Like it'll be pouring rain out, and we're walking the three of us, Lori and I and Waffles, in the pouring rain because it's that much of a a non-negotiable. And here's what it's really doing. Number one, we've built in these checkpoints to make sure that we're taking our relationship down off the shelf every day and creating the container for us to address it. And there's what most people are missing. They don't have the built-in daily container where they're forced to address their relationship and pour into it and spend some time together. Even, guys, this goes for people... That aren't entrepreneurs together. This goes for if he is an insurance agent at the office all day and she is a stay at home mom watching four children working her tail off. This goes for them too. Nobody is the exception to this. We're so busy chasing whatever we think is so important in life. And it is important, right? You do have to chase it. You do have to polish up your career and polish up your family and polish up your faith and polish up everything else. But we're so busy chasing that stuff that it just seems easiest to put your relationship on the shelf thinking it's going to look the same when you get to it next week, next month, next year. And it's not, it's collecting all that dust. And the last thing I'll say, cause I, I realize I'm on a little bit of a, a rant with this is, um, and it just escaped my mind. Of course it just escaped my mind. All right. I'll let you guys interject. It'll come back.
0: Well, I'm sure it'll come back. Um, there was a couple of things that came up for me when you were sharing this because you are such an outstanding businessman and you have a, you have a real knack for finding revenue and really just, you know, looking at businesses and being able to set a goal line and, and work backwards from there and also be really intentional about, you know, quarterly goals and yearly goals and you know setting intentions for the year and and I think about all the time just like how God created family and and partnership and what you and Lori have created and and you're like you know it's the best gift in the world well that's because it was really dev- designed that way we are designed to be on mission together and I really believe that to be true whether it's in career or not but you are doing I'm not sure if you've even realize it and you probably do you're doing the exact same thing in your marriage in relationships that successful businesses do. You know, there's you're you're treating it in a way that like you're looking at it for the year what you guys want personally for your lives, what you want for your marriage, how you want your experiences to look, how you want your your bodies to look. And you're, you're it's almost like without maybe even doing it on purpose is having quarterly meetings and projections mm-hmm. and a trajectory to follow and and I really believe that families are missing that piece because we we get really inverted in the way that we approach life and we go straight for the goal line with revenue, right? But then all of a sudden, like you said, that, that relationship gets goopy because it's sitting on the back shelf and we've never been intentional of treating it the same with the same kit gloves that we do in business. Yeah. And it's just a it's a really beautiful thing to watch. And then the other thing and just keep saying in, over in my head as you talked about like scheduling these things in, it's like, man, just save the religion for your calendar. Yeah. Because those rituals, you know, the relationship with God is what takes care of everything else in terms of nurturing it. But the religion was it has really been built around your calendar. Those the mm-hmm. rituals that you that you do repetitively that create those habits and the compound effect to create that cascading success, as we like to look at it in your relationship. But it, it's just, I wanted to kind of highlight those areas because as you were saying it, I saw it for others and for the listeners at home, like maybe that will be helpful for you. It's like, look at your marriage, like the same way you look at goal intentions and you know, dollars and cents in terms of creating profit, right? Yeah. What about profit in your marriage and in your bodies? And
2: It's such a great analogy, Angelique, because I'm realizing, you know because we have these built-in daily checkpoints in your business, that's like having your daily reports
0: Totally. Right?
2: That's mm-hmm. like having your daily morning meeting. Mm-hmm. Like these are the important checkpoints that you don't skip at work and you shouldn't skip them in your relationship. And here's one of the real benefits of, of us doing this. Lori and I never have to put out forest fires because we're always putting it out when it's smoke, right? Like when you address it every single day, you get to put it out while it's smoke, yeah. not when it's turned into a raging forest fire and you need 12 states worth of you know, fire departments to come in and save your ass.
0: Yeah. Wow. So good. So when you, with that approach and, and what you teach, because we talk about turned on being profitability in those four hallways, right? Mm-hmm. Like turning, turning on profit and profit just means, you know, advantage and, you know, and uh, the return over your investment, right? With business, when you have so many different walks of life coming to you for advice How can you take those principles almost at scale and say, like, whether you're making socks, (laughs) building houses, building courses, or, you know, building people, how are you able to take that at scale and apply, you know, your money principles, your, your profit principles, and make it and and make it, uh, you know, advantageous for them?
2: Uh, clarify for me, make it advantageous for who?
0: For, for your clients. Like, cause you're able to look at different businesses that you've maybe never even had like experience. In, oh, you know? and it's just, you're, you're, you're taking a principle and you're applying it to businesses that you've never done before. Cause there's a lot of people say, well, how can you coach something that you've never done? Well, there's yeah. a to that. So I would Two to that. Two
2: things. There's, there, there's fundamentals that are the same for everything, mm-hmm. right? There, there's certain fundamentals that will apply to everything. And the second half of the equation is not thinking you're going to have the answer to everything, but being willing to connect them to the answer. So one of the things I've done a really good job of is I've built a really diverse group of friendships and relationships and partners and and you name it. So when somebody comes to me and they've got a widget factory and I know nothing about widgets nor running a factory, I'm guaranteed to have a friend or an acquaintance that I've built relationship capital with who does have that and who is a couple steps further down the road than that person. And I make that introduction for them. Now the role I played there was nothing more than connecting person with a need to a person with a solution. But that's really what any form of coaching or any form of leadership or any form of guidance really is. It's not thinking you have all the answers. It's being willing enough to set your ego aside and say, I know where the answer is. Let me go point you in the right direction or introduce you to where that answer is. I think sometimes people get caught up in one of two things: either the fear of what if I don't know the answer to this, so therefore I'm not going to even put myself out there to try and help people because they wouldn't want to be embarrassed by not knowing the answer. Um, Or number two, they think they know all the answers, or they they get their ego hit, their dopamine hit off of coming up with their you know adding in their two cents every single time and the problem is you know when when you're more worried about that dopamine hit and and feeding your ego than you are about getting the real answer you're going to misguide somebody Mm. so listen just be the conduit for the person with the need to wherever the solution is and if you can see yourself as that you'll knock everything out of the park everything
1: beautiful I think um, I think I just want to ask one more thing, really, because um, we covered almost everything, you know, and, th- and this is basically uh, a pullback. Um, if, if you look at yourself now, and this could be applied to business, marriage, family, your health, any of the four hallways, you know, you reach a point in your life where you're at, like, I hate to say it, but we're, we're all, all three of us are kind of at that halfway point, right? Yep. I mean, no one wants to admit it. We like to think, hey, with technology, who knows? I'm at the
2: one third mark. I've promised Lori that we'll be married over 75 years, so I have to live till I'm like 120. So I'm at the okay. one third mark, just okay. so you know.
1: So we're at the one third mark. Um, what do you take from the past, and and you know, the old school kind of? Because I'm I'm guessing when you first started out in business, it was like me. There there was still word processor. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't laptops and there not iPhones. Had- so, nothing. Yeah. So what do you take from that? And then you take from the new school and where it's going. And we see, we see, you know, the automation. Is that what the word? Automization of everything? No. You know, automation. 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 <laughs> automation. I knew I wasn't doing that. Um, the automation, automation of everything, and, you know, and, 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 in the future, the near future, we might have people uh, out of driving trucks and stuff like that. As these well, things. we will. Yeah. yeah. So um, as a person who wants to see, because again, one of the, principles of Turned On is not getting comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be in a business right now, like I always use the, uh, I always use the travel agent business, right? And, and computers have kind of revolutionized travel agents.
2: Expedia um, ruined that one.
1: Yeah, we, we spoke the other day. I mean, I know uh, we had a friend who's taken her daughter to the orthodontist, but now you can get, you know, Invisalign online without going. Wild. So, we have to be able to see these things because if not, like you said, you're going to live to 120. So you're going to want to have to finance well beyond the years that your parents and grandparents finance, which was typically 65. Yep. So um, just what's your big take on that? What do you see as a visionary?
2: What's my plan to finance my long life or where do I see things going?
1: Yeah, not, not you in particular, but where do you see things going? Where, where do you see the, the best of both worlds? What do we hold on to from the old school? And, and what do we say? Hey, you know what? Things are going to be different.
2: Yeah. So I think hold on to values. Don't be attached to exact ways of how it looks. Yeah, yeah. That would be my best advice for everyone. So, you know, the core values that make us up, um, hard work, honesty, love, faith, those things, mm-hmm. hold on to values, but don't be attached to what they have to look like because they are going to look different. Mm-hmm. And where everybody gets held up, I know companies out there that are so attached to the old way that things used to work. Mm-hmm. that they 're still banking on well, if we just stick to the original uh, programming, if we just stick to the original process, if we just stick to the original thing that was popular five years ago or seven years ago, and if we just work harder at at you know telling the world about it it 's going to be fine no it 's not going to be because things are changing yeah. things are changing faster than ever, David, you nailed it like there 's there's going to be nobody driving the Uber that you're in. There's going to be nobody driving the semi-truck that is passing you. That's not like a maybe thing. That's not a science fiction thing. That's in about a five-year thing, right? So if, if that radical change is in five years, imagine what's going to be in 10 years and what's going to be in 20 years because we're still going to be live. We're still probably still going to be working at that point, right? Yeah. So we cannot be attached to what was. We can only be attached to our values, but we must be massively flexible and non-judgmental to what it is going to end up looking like, or you're going to be left behind and you're going to be struggling.
1: Yeah. And it could be, that could be scary. I mean, for for me right now, you know, like I I start to think about even our our daughter, like we should be getting her into like, we want to limit the technology, but we also want to, you know, we want to give her the tools to succeed in tomorrow's workspace Uh, even for us, you know, so much of it, it's like, geez, I got to learn a new program or something uh, more technical than what I'm already doing, you know, says Mr. Flipphone phone here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realize that's the case or else I'll be sitting there going, well, um, I, can, uh, I can file something for you.
2: <laughs> so here's a, here's a great example is be attached to the values, not to what it looks like. Uh, let's use Ella, if, if I may. You want her to be technologically advanced. You also don't want her on her phone at the dinner table. So yeah. the value is... Connection as a family without interruption. Mm-hmm. But maybe, just maybe, there's going to be electronics at the dinner table, but not somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're going to absolutely endorse and encourage her to go all out on electronics, but they don't come to the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Right? So don't be attached to how it looks, be attached to the value itself and reinforce the value. I
0: love it. The awesome.
2: Yep. yep.
1: That's fantastic. That. Well, Ange, anything else for my man?
0: I mean, w- I feel like you should just hit, come through the screen into our living room so we can continue this because that's I know how it goes when we all get together and the only thing we're missing right now is Lori and waffles but um, uh, maybe a know, cocktail and yeah yes. probably an old fashioned <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you you just covered so many things beautifully and uh, you know just the like the principled yet profitable uh, pointers and it's kind of a tongue twister but it just it just does such a beautiful job of illustrating how you have illustrated your whole life like how you've drawn it out in the last 10 years and uh like you said we got a backseat pass to or backstage pass to be able to witness that and we're just so grateful to have experienced that learned from you still learn from you um and watch you grow and we know and hope and pray that there's uh there's a reciprocal part of this that we can give back to you Mm -hmm. as much as you've
2: given us. There always has been like the way David teaches me sentimental values, the way you guys teach us to stop and play the way you're demonstrating how to raise a family. You know, that's something that we want to try for this year. Like you guys give equal exchange in gifts all the time. And that's exactly how it's supposed to work. You know, people get hung up on, Oh no, no, They're providing me A, B, and C. I can't provide them A, B, and C back. It's not how it's supposed to work. I'm supposed to provide you A, B, and C, and you're supposed to provide me one, two, and three, right? And that's how we end up with a whole, uh, you know, a a well balanced life. Mm -hmm. So I love it, and I love you guys.
0: All the time in the core four, that one of the standard, you know, questions is, can you reciprocate value? Because there's a like you talked about collaboration is a new shortcut. It doesn't mean that you just come and take and leave. Yep. I mean, there has to be some kind of reciprocal value there, and uh, I feel I feel that we've we've covered that. So
1: thank yeah. you. Yeah, I mean a, a thank you a thank you isn't enough, but nope. a sincere thank you for everything, and just not only for today but for everything.
2: Well, uh, I think you know, thank you guys for having me on. I love you guys. Thank you for being in my life, and I'm really excited because let's be honest. We've only known each other like ten years. This is the tip of the iceberg. Some really epic stuff is coming our way.
1: We got you and I got two or three Packers uh, championships. Super Bowls. Yep. Easy two yep. or three Packers championships left. For sure.
0: Chris, thank you for turning uh, our life on in so many ways, and we hope for the listeners that something turned on for them
1: today too. Amen. Love it.